You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1891st edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 11th of August 2022. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison, the producer is Ruth Hill and your readers are Carol and David Gooderham. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Highfields Festival in Bury St Edmunds, Nowton Park, given green light. Felixstowe port workers to strike for eight days later this month. Food price rises inevitable as input costs climb higher. Councils get cash to cut back on blight of chewing gum stains. A controversial musical festival set to attract around 2,000 people has been given the green light despite protests. The Highfields Festival was given the go-ahead by West Suffolk Council and will take place at Knighton Park, Bury St Edmunds on August the 27th. It has been billed as a magical gathering of music and art and will feature DJs, live music and art. Organisers, Highfields Limited, found themselves in hot water after residents living near the park spotted a licence application the company had applied for to hold the event, along with a variety of others throughout the year. The application asks for permission to potentially hold events seven days a week, 365 days a year, from 11am to 12am across the whole of the park. It prompted 31 objections. But at West Suffolk Council Licensing and Regulatory Subcommittee today, councillors decided the licence could be granted, felt satisfied that events would be properly managed and that the plan in place for the festival later this month was robust. Any further events would also require further permission from the Parks Department. Nine residents attended the meeting today, including Henry Hopkin, Chair of Nowton Parish Council, which had objected. Mr Hopkin said residents were concerned about the open-ended nature of the licence, as well as public nuisance at the event on August the 27th, including camping, litter, defecation, excessive alcohol and drug use. He said there were concerns that the main access from the park leads on to an unlit, narrow road, which could cause a significant hazard. He said there were also fears for people living in Knighton Court Village residential home. An, an event like this could potentially be extremely detrimental to their health and well-being, he said. One resident who lives in the Curlews said the event was very different from what has been held before and that it was not an art event, but a rave. They were also concerned about the impact on environment and wildlife. Tickets have been on sale for the Highfields Festival since December. A full management plan for the event has been drawn up, covering areas including security, noise levels, alcohol and drugs policy, health and safety and security. Permission for the licence was granted for two years on the basis that police are told of any future event 28 days beforehand. There were no fireworks or barbecues at the festival due to the extreme weather. 
Workers at the port of Felixstowe are set to strike later this month after last-minute talks broke down. Officials from the port and trade union Unite were unable to reach an agreement in arbitrations meetings on Thursday after the union member voted in favour of industrial action by a majority of 92% following a pay dispute. Union bosses say Felixstowe Dock and Railway Company failed to improve on their offer of a 5% pay increase to its workers, adding this was fairly far away from their demands and an effective pay cut, with RPI currently standing at 11.9%. Industrial action is now set to go ahead for eight days later this month. Unite General Secretary Sharon Graham said um, both Felixstowe Docks and its parent company CK Hutchison Holding Limited are both massively profitable and incredibly wealthy. They are fully able to pay the workforce a fair day's pay. The company has prioritised delivering multi-million pound dividends rather than paying its workers a decent wage. Unite is entirely focused on enhancing its members' jobs, pay and conditions and it will be giving the workers at Felixstowe its complete support until this dispute is resolved and a decent pay increase is secured. Felixstowe is the UK's largest container port and handles nearly half of the containerised freight into the country. Strike action is expected to have a huge impact on the UK's supply chain and could cause severe disruption to international maritime trade. Bobby Morton, who is the Unite National Officer for Docks, said strike action will cause huge disruption and will generate massive shockwaves throughout the UK's supply chain but this dispute is entirely of the company's own making. It has had every opportunity to make our members a fair offer, but has chosen not to do so. Felix Stowe needs to stop prevaricating and make a pay offer which meets our, our members' expectations. Our business leaders and the government have called for a negotiated solution as a walkout at Felix Stowe, the UK's largest port, could see vessels be diverted elsewhere in the UK or Europe. Paul Simon, who is the Suffolk Chamber of Commerce Head of Affairs and Strategic Communications, said, We are aware of the local and national impact that a strike at the Port of Felixstowe might have on business supply chains. Suffolk Chamber of Commerce would urge both sides to continue negotiations to avoid such industrial action. In the meantime, businesses should look to activate their contingency plans to maintain their short-term flow of components and finished goods. The dispute follows a number of other incidents of industrial action across the country, and at the time of this recording, talks have resumed, but no outcome. The cost of food will have to go up to keep pace with the eye-watering rise in the cost of growing. A farmer's leader has warned. Suffolk National Farmers Union Chairman Andrew Blinkman said farmers will not be able to grow food next year if the, if the prices they are paid don't match their outlay. While the price of wheat and other cereals have rocketed this year in the wake of world shortages, other crops such as root vegetables and lettuces haven't kept pace, he said. <clears throat> Mr Blinkeren, who is director of the Euston Estate near Thetford, 
Meanwhile, said meanwhile costs of energy, fertiliser, animal feed and fuel have gone through the roof. The UK has been rocked by Bank of England predictions that inflation will top 13% and the country will be plunged into a year-long recession if a cap on household energy bills are raised in line with what the energy watchdog is calling for. On Thursday, the bank decided to raise the base interest rate from 1.25% to 1.75% in a bid to curb runaway inflation, a move which will hit many farmers who often borrow heavily to pay for the inputs and machinery they need. Food prices are going to have to rise, said Mr Blinkeren. Producers are going to have to start passing on these costs. And the country was facing an energy emergency, he warned, as he called for more focus on cutting red tape so that schemes such as safer farms and new farm reservoirs could progress much more quickly through the planning system. Electricity costs on the estate leapt up this year from 11p to 34p a unit. That meant the annual bill shot up from £120,000 to £400,000. The estate's fertiliser costs have also risen steeply, while tractor fuel has doubled in price. Meanwhile, farm subsidies, which used to be linked to the food farmers grow, are being phased out in favour of supporting environmental measures on farms. Ipswich, Colchester and West Suffolk are among the first areas to receive funding from a new government initiative to crack down on high street chewing gum stains. The areas will receive grants of up to £70,000 as part of the Chewing Gum Task Force. Established by DEFRA and run by environmental charity Keep Britain Tidy, the task force aims to clean... Um, a a gum off um, pavements and put in measures to stop it from being dropped in the first place. Councillor Martin Goss, who's the portfolio holder for neighbourhood services and waste at Colchester Borough Council, said, we will use the £20,000 awarded to purchase and maintain a dedicated vehicle to clean streets in and around the town centre. Um, A gum litter is a disgrace and there really is no need for anyone to be littering now that we have special bins around the town centre. Estimates suggest the annual clean-up cost of chewing gum for councils in the UK is around £7 million. And according to Keep Britain Tidy, around 87% of England's streets are stained with gum. Councillor Phil Smart Ipswich Borough Council portfolio holder for the environment said we have recently been awarded funding and are working on an awareness campaign for later in 2022 which will be targeted at Ipswich Waterfront and Ipswich Town Centre. These are two areas that we have known problems with irresponsible chewing gum disposal requiring frequent removal by our Ipswich Borough Council waste teams and we shall deliver these. Councillor Peter Stevens, West Suffolk Council portfolio holder for operations, said he looked forward to putting the funding to good use and make the area's town centres attractive and inviting places. He said, 
it is a step in the right direction that the producers are now involved in addressing an issue that blights our streets and which wastes money to clean up. The funding is the first tranche of a package worth up to £10 million from major gum manufacturers including Mars, Wrigley and Perfetti Van Mel to tackle chewing gum stains. The investment will be spread over five years. The Environment Secretary, George Eustace, said, Working with responsible gum manufacturers, we are now giving councils extra help to clean up our cities and towns. And now for some general news. A care home near Bury St Edmunds has been placed in special measures after being rated inadequate by a watchdog. Ixworth Dementia Village, which is run by <coughs> Leaf Care Services Limited, was judged by the Care Quality Commission to have breached regulations relating to safe care and treatment, medicines, consent procedures, staffing, nutrition, person-centred care and governance. The report said risks to people's health, safety and welfare were not managed effectively, placing them at significant risk. The inspection of the facility at Ixworth Court in Pedders Close, previously rated good, was prompted in part due to significant concerns found during inspection of another service run by the provider. Among the CQC's finding at the home, which cares for up to 24 people and consists of three houses, it said, the number of staff at the service was not always sufficient to provide a consistent safe care for people. A member of staff said, they don't use agency staff here, you just never know what you're going to find when you get here. Lack of staff is a big issue here. Weekends are always a problem. You come in some days and there are just two staff across two houses. The provider failed to ensure people were protected from the risk of avoidable harm. Several staff said there was often difficult atmosphere at the service, one where they didn't feel able to speak up or report concerns for fear of repercussions. Staff told of their concerns at the lack of food supplies towards the end of the week. A member of staff said, there is not enough food. Every week we run out of things like bread and milk. It noted that after the inspection, Leaf Care Services took steps to, 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 mit to mitigate risks such as the voluntary suspension of any new admissions and increasing staffing levels. They also employed the services of a health and social care consultant to create an action plan to improve. The CQC said it would keep the service under review and reinspect within six months to check for significant improvements. Leaf Care Services was approached for comment. A consultation on plans to close part of a Bury St Edmunds street during school drop-off and pick-up times has revealed mixed views. St Edmunds Catholic Primary School in Westgate Street wants to make a short section of the road pedestrian only for a 45-minute period in the morning and in the afternoon during term time. The aim is to make the street safer to cycle, scoot or walk to school, as well as improve the air and environment and reduce inconsiderate parking. After the school asked parents and local residents to share their views, Executive Head Maria Kemble said they had received 70 responses. She said there were mixed views as to be expected. Some are fully in favour, some can see positives but have concerns, and others are firmly against the idea. 
Concerns raised include access for residents, signage to ensure drivers know there is no access, management of the scheme, alternative parking places for parents to park and stride, and traffic in surrounding streets. She stressed residents would still be able to access the area during the closure with a banksman to ensure safety. Addressing other points, she said Suffolk County Council's highways team would be responsible for information being communicated to drivers about the closure and the school would manage the scheme with support from highways. We will continue to a direct we will continue to direct parents to use parking in the locality and are lobbying West Suffolk Council for more free parking for short periods that would encourage use of car parks rather than on-street parking, she added. Vivian Gainsborough Foote, chairman of the Churchgate Area Association, said her group's concerns over the plans remained. A Suffolk County Council spokesperson said, We are working with the school and we look forward to receiving the, uh, the consultation responses. We will work with all parties to consider the impact of the proposals. In a new project with eco-carriers from September, St Edmund's pupils will be able to get to and from school as part of a bike train, which is children riding their own bikes in a group supported by adult cyclists. Planners have turned down plans for two illuminated billboards in Bury St Edmunds on the grounds they could distract drivers and pedestrians. The boards would have replaced an existing billboard on Station Hill attached to the Grade 2 listed railway bridge over the A1101 and another on the other side of the bridge in Fornham Road. Network Rail had applied for advertisement consent to replace the boards but both proposals were refused by West Suffolk Council. An officer-delegated report said the proposed illuminance is considered to be wholly excessive and inappropriate given the sensitive location of the signage on what is a well-used A road. Therefore, the LPA Local Planning Authority holds concerns regarding public safety. This harm is further exacerbated by the slideshow nature of the advertisements proposed, which will distract pedestrians and vehicles. The billboards are located alongside a Grade 2 listed railway bridge. Grade 2 listed Fornham Free Church and the Grade 1 listed and scheduled St Saviour's Hospital. A decision notice said the advertisement's close proximity, size and elevated location currently detracts from the setting of the nearby heritage assets. Screen Suffolk, which has worked to make the county the scenic backdrop for films such as Yesterday, the Dig and David Copperfield, is set to be given £80,000 of additional investment over the next five years. The decision to extend the contract between the Suffolk Public Sector Leaders Group and the Film Office for five years and increase investment by £16,000 per year was made during a meeting of the group last week. Screen Suffolk was commissioned in 2016 to promote the county as a location for filming and support film-based work experience for young people. Since 2016, an investment of £284,000 has enabled 887 filming days to take place across 548 locations in the county.
Previously, the number of filming days was around 30. Jane Knight, Arts Development Manager at Suffolk County Council, said, The film sector is one of the most successful growing businesses, business sectors in the UK. We have worked out a formula for measuring the economic impact of investing in location filming and we believe there has been over £11 million spent in the Suffolk economy directly so far. 549 cast and crew members living in Suffolk have been provided with an overall 1,325 days of work since 2016, while young residents have benefited from 392 days of work experience and 239 paid marshalling jobs. Uh, the leader of um, a Baber District Council, uh, John Ward, said, The success in bringing filming such as this to our county has been phenomenal. It's put Suffolk on the map. A Lawshall electrician has taken residents' concerns to one of the UK's biggest power network com- companies after regular power cuts have been causing disruption to villages for years. Kevin Seggy of Berry Road said he got involved with trying to resolve the issue after many people spoke to him about how it affects them and after he himself got fed up with the situation. He said, I moved to the village 16 years ago and I've had power issues ever since I moved in. This sort of thing has started to happen more regularly over the last four or five years. The last time I was told by UK Power Networks it affected 1,100 people. That is a lot of disruption. The electrician of more than 30 years told the company he felt it was due to lack of maintenance of trees and bushes which were touching the lines, but at first that was dismissed. He said, We are in the countryside, so it was obvious to me, but I kept getting told it was animals. After they finally came out and inspected the lines last year, and then again earlier this year, they agreed, saying they found 15 places where maintenance was needed. The power cuts, though, mostly only in short spells, have affected so many, said Kevin. He added, People have told me about it waking them up at night when the lights come back on, and the effects it has had on people with new babies. Also, people using home medical equipment, elderly residents and those trying to run businesses and working from home, doing video calls. I was told there were three outages in 15 minutes the other night. This has gone on too long. Kevin has been keeping people updated on his progress on the villagers' Facebook page, with many thanking him for his efforts. He said, I'm just a normal and average guy who loves my village, the people in it, who are my customers, and I want to help them get to the bottom of it. Also, with energy bills set to go up again soon, I don't want people wasting electricity on items that are on when the power is out and then are left running when it returns. A UK Power Network spokeswoman said, We are sorry for the power issues which have affected residents in parts of Lawshall, and we are committed to resolving the problem of trees touching the overhead power lines that cause short power cuts lasting a few seconds. Having carried out a full inspection of the lines, our contractors have now started tree trimming in the area. This will happen in stages, with consent from landowners, and to allow for the bird nesting season and harvest. In the past year, we've invested £19 million in tree trimming, to keep branches away from power lines and help prevent power cuts for rural communities. Sean Sellers, an associate dentist at Elvington House Dental Practice in Bury, 
and a non-executive director of Social Enterprise Community Dental Services, talks about why Barry St Edmunds has become a beacon of issues within dentistry and why a planned dental training centre in the county is a step in the right direction. Most readers will be aware that, that dentists are in short supply in Suffolk. This isn't a new problem and isn't limited to East Anglia, but the coronavirus pandemic made seeing a dentist in an emergency or for routine treatment impossible for many. A Bury St Edmunds has become a beacon of the issues within dentistry with DentAid, the dental charity more associated with providing care in developing countries, recently visiting the town to, to deliver much-needed emergency services. I relocated to the Bury area, area in early 2020, just before the pandemic began, to work at Elvington House Dental Practice. In addition to my day job as a dentist, I write a regular ethics column for the British Dental Journal. Unsurprisingly, the subject of access to dental care comes up routinely. Rural locations have traditionally struggled to recruit dentists. While I love Suffolk's rolling hills and chocolate box landscape, the Seclusion and relatively high levels of deprivation can be off-putting for many, especially those in the early stages of their career. So I was encouraged to read the recent news of a a prospective new dental training centre in Ipswich. The social enterprise, headed up by the University of Suffolk and the NHS, will aim to improve access to dental care in the area and provide a learning centre for dentists and auxiliary staff. It's a much-needed boost to the dental sector in the east of England, an area without a major hub for dental learning until now. The new centre will enable dentists to provide an enhanced range of services to their patients and train new dental hygienists and therapists. Dentists are more likely to be attracted to the area if they know their career will benefit and dental therapists in particular are essential to the latest NHS plans for dentistry. Therapists can provide a wide range of services, including fillings and taking impressions of teeth, but are currently underutilised in practice. In the future, it will become more common for a dentist to diagnose any issues and refer to their therapists to carry out some or all of the treatment required. The new centre won't change the dental access problem overnight and won't solve the underlying issues in dentistry in Suffolk. Still, it's a step in the right direction and shows promise for the future of the teeth of the people of East Anglia. A pair of Bury St Edmunds institutions have joined forces to give theatre-goers a taste of decadence before their shows. The Theatre Royal has partnered with award-winning independent town restaurant Maison Bleu by serving a selection of its gourmet LEA ready meals, range of cold starters, mains and desserts in its Green King bar. Owen Kelvett-Lyons, an artistic director of the theatre, said, We are so excited to welcome LEA to the Theatre Royal family. I have been lucky enough to sample the dishes we will be offering, and I think our audiences are going to love them. Tasters of the food options will be available on the opening night of The Secret Garden on August the 19th 
and fully launched on September the 19th with the showing of Romeo and Juliet Retold. A public and husband and wife team are returning to various Edmonds to run one of the town's well-known pubs. Adam Needs and Natalie Southern will be the new managers at Green King Pub The Fox. The couple have, have most recently been running the Baron of Beef in Cambridge, but in previous years ran a number of berry pubs, including the King's Arms and the Tollgate. Adam said, Berry pubs don't come up very often, as a lot of the pub managers have been there for many years, and we were really excited when we heard the fox was available. He added, We met at our first Green King pub, and 15 years later, we've been married for five years. The couple left Berry for a few years first, m moving to a pub in Cambridge, before taking on a pub in Buckinghamshire. But now they're back in Bury and can't wait to get started at the Eastgate Street pub. We want the Fox to be a real part of local community, Adam said. It can be a bit overlooked because of its position. So we want to make sure we put it back on, we put it back. And now for the letters. The first is from Ian McDowell of Bury St Edmunds. I would like to thank Councillor Andy Drummond in letters of July the 22nd for so clearly explaining why our once great country is in the dreadful state it is. Why key workers are getting poorer, while a few hard-working good old boys gain unimaginable wealth, often kept abroad. In his appeal to Conservative members to focus on loyalty, he is happy to entirely ignore the state of the NHS, staff and infrastructure. The economy, inflation, poverty, ineffective action addressing global warming, etc., etc., doesn't take a research degree to establish Johnson's credentials as a reseller of snake off. Sorry, snake oil. To paraphrase Councillor Drummond, no matter the evidence of the impact on the UK and its international reputation, solidarity in the party is the top priority. Taking action against abuse of power is stabbing someone in the back. He will have learned, since writing his letter, that the tiny band of Conservative members he is addressing have the choice between more of the same lies and ineffectiveness from a Johnson imitator or a return to the austerity which set us up very nicely for the outcomes of Johnson's government of chaos. And, in fact, at the time of posting this letter, the candidates are in a race to the bottom to impress the influential right wing of the party. Dogma trumps outcomes in the never-never land of Johnson and the lost boys. It's not great for the rest of us, and what about our grandchildren? A good start for those empowered to vote in this Tory leadership election would be to actually review the outcomes of 12 years of rule. Or does it matter, so long as power is kept where it belongs? For the rest of us, we must just live with this wonder of democracy and the outcomes. Oh, to be in England, this green and pleasant land, where saying one thing and doing another is a norm of political careers. Just don't tell your grandchildren that we live in a democracy. Perhaps the better news this week is that a new party, the Climate Party, has been formed to provide a viable alternative to the Lost Boys Club as a means of government. At least they may prioritise green power resources, unlike Joe Churchill who favours pigs over solar panels because they are less of an eyesore. Maybe they would even look at outcomes and adjust their policies to improve results. 
or is that just another threat to solidarity in the Conservative Party? And this letter is from Margaret Stevenson, and it's entitled Respect for Politicians. Sir, I agree. I entirely agree with Lord Phillips. Most politicians are decent. EADT letters, August the 3rd. Obviously, there are always bad pennies in politics, but anyone bold enough to put themselves forward to be constantly in the public eye and often sniped at without due cause deserves some respect. This next letter is from Jackie Goodridge of Newmarket and it's entitled Staff at Hospital Were Wonderful. Regarding the story in last week's Berry Free Press about the pressures on West Suffolk Hospital, which caused it to declare a critical incident, may I, through your letters page, give my heartfelt thanks and appreciation to all the staff of Ward F5 and at West Suffolk Hospital in general. I was admitted for surgery on Tuesday, July the 19th and spent four days on the ward during the very hot weather. The staff worked tirelessly whilst clearly under pressure to administer the best care and support, always with kindness and a smile when I felt at my most vulnerable. I'm home now recovering after bowel cancer surgery. My recent results confirm it was caught in the early stages and I have the all clear. Our NHS staff and hospitals are amazing. My family and I thank you all. And the next letter is uh, from David Austin of Bury St Edmunds and it's entitled Ticket Machine Can't Replace Human Touch. On Friday I visited Bury Station to renew my over 60s rail card. When I got there I found that there was no longer a ticket office, just some ticket machines and a rather harassed looking member of staff. He asked me to complete a form but this was a challenge, as there is not a single flat surface anywhere in the station to do it. Using a ticket entry point as an unofficial desk, I completed the form and received my rail card. The member of staff was very helpful, but was operating from a tiny cubby hole with no room for him to work and with people coming up asking for help with the ticket machines. On Monday, I bought a ticket from the machine. And I don't think booking a ticket to Liverpool Street has ever been user-tested on someone not already familiar with the system. I found it information-dense with too many options and I can imagine many people who don't use these machines often finding them difficult and stressful, especially if there's a queue of impatient travellers behind you. The member of staff was again very helpful, but the process of actually buying a ticket was complex and not user-friendly. I am aware of the, of the current ongoing discussion about our rail system, but removing ticket offices is a retrograde step which offers a much worse service to travellers. And it also is probably pretty stressful for the staff who are dealing with an endless barrage of queries. On a positive note, the actual journey to London and back was on time and very efficient. Audrey Naylor of Ipswich has written a letter entitled Watching News as Tears Go By. Sir, there is a video on YouTube of Marian Faithful, 1960s song, As Tears Go By. Images within it remind me of a campaigner in Ipswich, Max, who formed an Ipswich Windrush Society. He displays memorabilia of his parents' youth 
when they came, in 1948 at the UK's behest, to fill key worker posts, and Max reminds us what unites rather than divides. The Gov.UK announces compensation scheme set up in 2019 is starting to make some small progress after the Home Office removed Windrush workers' nationality a whole generation later. In my search, interestingly, I came across a 2020 poem on a video read by Marianne Faithful for Our Times, Hopes and Fears. Martin Newell's tongue-in-cheek health advice piece, 30th of July, warns watching the news is bad for us. I hosted a brilliant international student for seven weeks who goes back in a few days to mainland China, where she is not permitted full and free access to information. Censorship or just poor memory are tempting tools used by authoritarian politicians the world over. Marianne Faithful shares Martin Newell's observations. She is quoted as saying, The nice thing about us lot is that what we do is of no consequence. We don't do things that are important. We spend our lives doing things which are not important. That's what's nice about us. We're not pompous. We never do anything very bad that's going to change the world. We're not serious. We're butterflies. We live for a day. However, she also allegedly said, rebellion is the only thing that keeps you alive. Hold them to account between the trips to the seaside. The cynical British, perhaps the whole human race, I believe, have a healthy anarchistic streak which collectively surfaces when enough is enough. And the next letter is from Keith Apps of Berris and Evans and it's entitled, Council is Just Not Listening. As I said in the letter to the Berry Free Press last year, the Christmas fair would be cancelled forever, using Covid as the excuse to dump it. The Christmas fair brought 130,000 people to the town, all spending money in the shops and cafes. I love the atmosphere with all the visitors with lots of children and, and people from all over England coming to the largest Christmas fair in Europe. What replaced it was a complete non-entity. Non, non it wasn't worth walking out of my front door to visit and this year's will be worse. What West Southwark Council has forgotten is that lots of the visitors to the Christmas fair came back in the summer to look round such a lovely town. It seems to me that we have a council that is going gaily on its way without consulting the residents. We have two cinemas in the town. We don't need a third. There are ugly blocks of flats being erected when the residents are opposed to them. As for the old post office flats, when are they ever going to be finished and the hoardings removed? I live in hope that the council will start taking notice of what the residents think and not behaving like they are the only thing that counts. This letter from Brian Davis, also of Berry St Edmunds. <clears throat> the practice of delivering food in containers by cyclists riding at breakneck speeds on pavements needs drastic action taken before someone ends up either in hospital or worse, a mortuary. At my garden gate and facing my house, I was suddenly aware of the whoosh of a bicycle being ridden at an estimated 19 to 20 miles per hour on the pavement, and, had I taken a step backwards to admire my handiwork, both the rider and myself would have ended up with serious injuries. Needless to say, the cyclist was gone before you could say Jack Robinson. Within minutes of this happening, my next-door neighbour came out of his house with his two young grandchildren, and if they had emerged that little bit earlier, I hesitate to think what might have happened. 
Action to stamp out this lunacy needs to be taken forthwith, rather than waiting for the inevitable accident to happen, followed by lessons will be learned. And the next letter is from Pat Peck of Kettleborough. And the heading is Tips on How to Economise. Sir, I could tell mums how to economise. Shop in charity shops, especially for school uniform, or buy them in Asda. I'm glad to see schools are selling second-hand uniforms. I had to go and beg some dresses from a woman I, I didn't even know. Our girls went riding together. Pass on and receive clothing from friends and neighbours. I bought three beef mini-steaks for three pounds in Sainsbury. It's cheap at the moment, I was told. Handy for spaghetti bolognese. Buy the cheaper sausages. The kids like these ones. If you shop in the co-op, you can get two pieces of haddock for three pounds. Might have been on offer. Likewise, they're cheap as toilet rolls because they have smaller holes in the middle, so you get more for your money. Then there's toothpaste. Half of what you put on the brush goes down the plug hole, so only put a little bit on. You may have to supervise this. No need for toothbrushes at all if you're really strapped for cash. Do like the caveman did. Use a cocktail stick or salt or baking soda. No afters until you've finished your firsts. <laughs> That's quite good advice. <laughs> right, Brian Wilcox from Willisham says, Sir, <clears throat> read your article in the East Anglian Daily Times on August the 3rd. On my walks around the Needham Lake twice a week, I notice the backwaters to the lake are just mud channels and the main lake level is very low. The solution, solution to keep the lake at a high level is quite straightforward and as the lake is a man-made site, it should have been sorted originally. The river Gipping runs beside the length of the lake in a gentle downward slope and the pipe at the bottom of the lake takes in water from the river at that low end. If the river is running high, which it just about never does, these days that pipe is angled in an upwards direction so in effect the flow of the river has to be very fast to allow the water to travel upward to top up the lake. The simple solution is to put in a gravity-fed pipe connecting the river at the top of the lake where all the mud channels are now sitting, so the flow comes in at the top, fills the lake in time, and then when the lake is at the top level, any overflow goes out on the pipe at the bottom, at the bottom of the lake, back into the river. It's only a very few yards between the river and the lake at that top end for the suggested pipe. And another thing, just how did the barges get up to Stonemarket back in the day? And this letter is from Nigel Wright of Berris Nedmans and is uh, headed... Masks not good for the young. Your correspondent, masking up, should do some research before pronouncing on what he feels can only be good, can only be for the good and everyone's welfare. In the case of children, the Journal of the American Medical Association has recently published a study that found wearing masks increases to unhealthy levels the amount of carbon dioxide in inhaled air. 400 parts per million is considered normal, while the German Federal Environment Office states that anything over 2,000 parts per million is unacceptable. The JAMA report measured averages of between 13,000 and 14,000 parts per million after only three minutes of wearing a mask. 
A larger German survey of 25,000-plus children found that 68% had problems directly associated with mask-wearing as the inhaled fresh air mixed with the mask's captured exhaled carbon dioxide. As autumn approaches and our government toys with the idea of reintroducing mask mandates, the psychological, moral and social costs of mask-wearing will be completely ignored. Your correspondent will no doubt write off as conspiracy theory anything that goes against the official narrative that he has so completely swallowed. That's fine. He can go ahead and ramp up his own susceptibility to medical problems. But he shouldn't expect that signalling his virtue by wearing a face nappy either protects him from this wretched virus or cancels the actual scientific data. And here's a letter from one of our regular letter writers, Graham Day of Stowmarket. Sir, I was not surprised to read recently that Harwich is considered to be a somewhat hidden gem in North Essex. My first visit to Harwich really started when I worked for a training company in Colchester between 1992 and 2004. Visits to the town occurred at frequent intervals. This was when I became particularly aware of the historic heart of Harwich. A subsequent trip on the partially James Dyson-designed former ferry from Felixstowe with my old friend John led to a wonderful day of exploration and discovery, including fine ales and food. The annual International Sea Shanty Festival now always features in the diary. In addition, I have made many trips to Harwich in my role as a social research interviewer. I've also found, I've always found the residents kind, understanding and above all helpful. Harwich is much more than its leading lights, the port, the halfpenny pier or the electric palace. The centre oozes history from every brick and tile, and the community spirit would be the envy of other towns of similar size. Somehow, I feel, tendering council misses somewhat, somewhat that jewel that is Harwich. And now for three or four features. Elfton Estate has launched a dog-friendly cafe and restaurant for owners and their four-legged friends. The Dog and Scone at Elfton Courtyard which was the brainchild of manager Denise Sharp, welcomed its first customers on Monday. Deputy manager Lindsay Pearson said the positive response they had received in converting a former tea room on the London Road site into the eatery had been overwhelming. She said the idea came about as we had so many people asking if they were allowed to bring their dogs into the restaurant, so we decided to do something to accommodate owners and their dogs. Since telling people what we were doing on social media, it has been absolutely crazy. We didn't think it was going to be that popular straight away, and then we saw so many likes and reactions to it that we just thought, wow. The Dog and Scone serves a full restaurant menu, including specials of the day and roasts on Sunday, with furry companions having a menu offering the likes of doggy ice cream and summer fruits, carrot cake and banana-flavoured biscuits. Lindsay said, this space gives owners and their dogs the chance to enjoy all that we offer in all weathers, as they previously had to sit in our garden area, which we close when it rains. The deputy manager also said, feedback from customers already using the cafe and restaurant had been brilliant. She said, people have been over the moon with what we have done so that they can treat their dogs. 
Others have said they would like to invite their dog's group here to come and have lunch after a walk. It's just been fantastic. The gift shop in the courtyard, in which in which dogs are also allowed, stocks treats, beds, harnesses and collars from local suppliers, and the dog and scone is also bringing in dog cakes for pooches to eat, which it hopes will further enhance its credentials as a perfect doggy destination. Lindsay said, We want to expand the market, as since lockdown, many people have got dogs and we want to help cater for their needs. The amount of people that come in here with their dogs has increased, and with the likes of the dog and scone, we hope to be able to build on that further in the future. Dog and Scone is open at Elvedon Courtyard from Thursday to Monday between 10am and 4pm. Lucky dogs. Right, now we're going underground with this feature. For his latest book, local author Martin Taylor uncovered some of the town's passages. Here are just some, one or two of them, that he's found by Daniel Lett. What do you think of underground tunnels and hidden passages you tend to think of the miles of tube networks underneath London or the catacombs beneath Paris. Or even closer to home, right here in Suffolk, it's well known there are the remnant of smuggling tunnels underneath the Suffolk town of Hadley. But did you know there's a whole host of underground tunnels, cellars and even mines beneath Bury St Edmunds? Local author and historian Martin Taylor has just finished writing his book Going Underground, Bury St Edmunds in which he's uncovered a vast variety of tunnels, burial sites, chalk mines, cellars, municipal works, military defences, parch marks and more beneath the historic Suffolk town. I've always been fascinated by the chalk mines and tunnels supposedly under Bury St Edmunds, he explains. It should come as no surprise that there are tunnels and mines underneath Bury after all. It was once the home of a magnificent 11th century abbey and they had to source the building materials from somewhere. The Abbey Church, once one of the richest and most powerful Benedictine monasteries in England, and among the largest in Europe, was built over several generations. The chosen material was flint encased with limestone, the bonding agent lime mortar. Chalk, the necessary requirement for this, had to be mined deeply, and therefore Bury has chalk mines to the east, west and in the central part of town. Centuries later, catastrophic consequences occurred when 30 houses that had been built above the chalk mines were affected by property blight and had to be demolished. With the closure of the abbey following the dissolution of the monasteries in 1539, there were stories of medieval ghostly figures traversing the town via secret tunnels, unable to rest. Some of their Anglo-Saxon ancestors were discovered in a cemetery when building works were underway on the edge of the town, he says. With this in mind, Martin spent months working on his book, finding out more about these hidden passageways that lie below. From ancient cellars to Victorian sewers, Berry certainly has layers of intrigue beneath it. While collating information on the subjects mentioned within my book, locked-up doorways in ancient cellars feature prominently with an air of mystery and the notion of what lay behind them, contributing to further anecdotes, he says. So what exactly did Martin find during his research? Here are some, here are just a few of the tunnels and mines he uncovered during his research. One was the former Masonic Lodge, number 87, Churchgate Street. <clears throat> and another was 
Mount Road chalk mines. And then this one was on the Angel Hill. The musto, known as Angel Hill today, is where the famous Berry Fair was held until it was abolished in 1871. But could Angel Hill really have a warren of tunnels leading to and from the Abbey, as we are led to believe? This brings us to the story of an intrepid violinist at the end of the 18th century who supposedly left Angel Hill from Anderson's coffee shop on the south side via one such subterranean route, accompanied by other revellers. Heading in the direction of the Abbey, Fear overtook his companion's bravado, and they decided to follow his tune above. Left alone, no more was heard of him. His fiddle was silent. The Abbey at Bury was one of the most powerful and impressive in England. All that remains today are the flint core ruins and two massive entrances. The 12th century Norman Tower, the religious entrance and the secular Abbey Gate, the second of such due to the rioting townspeople destroying the first in 1327, which was situated opposite today's Abbeygate Street. The Norman Tower was the first made, explains Martin. Angel Hill is said to be honeycombed with, with underground culverts and concealments originating from the Abbey, formulating tales of ghostly monks being seen at various times in the cellars of interconnecting shops up near Abbeygate Street. Modern-day accounts tell of spectral monks in brown habits being seen, but, as the Abbey here at Bury St Edmunds housed Benedictine monks who wore black habits, could people have been confused or mistaken? And this is an article on uh, some history behind the ill-fated flats on the corner of Kings Road and Parkway. A good fellow was the name of the family who lived at 141 Kings Road, a house that was demolished to make way for the controversial Goodfellow's Social Housing Building. Henry Goodfellow had four daughters and four sons. Of the four Goodfellow brothers who went to fight in World War I, just one, Thomas, returned. His three male siblings died during a period from 1914 to 1915. David Ellis, a relative of Alice Goodfellow, a sister of the brothers, contacted the owners, Havebury Housing Partnership, who agreed to a plaque being affixed, telling of the brothers' sacrifice, this being carried out in a ceremony on the 17th of March 2009. The flats, where David was also a tenant, won several awards for sustainability when built in 2008 to code level 4 plus for sustainable homes and are a fine example for those promoting a green environment. The Royal Institute of British Architects East gave it an award as did the Suffolk Association of Architects both in 2009. The three-story block of 12 flats is on the edge of the conservation area on the corner of Kings Road and Parkway. Throughout, the development has low technology within its timber construction. Modest architects of Bury St Edmunds practice, well known for this, for this type of ecological building, fully intended for wisteria and clematis climbing shrubs to grow up steel wires enveloping the exterior of the flats. Well, 
A floral shroud was there to begin with, but over time, the removal, for unconfirmed reasons, of the climbers has left the flats looking tired and careworn. In fact, they regularly receive very unkind comments, such as made from pallets, shed-like and shacks. I leave it to you to draw your own conclusion. However, just a few years ago, all the tenants were moved out and they remain empty. The question that has to be asked is, why? Well, we are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Sue, Ruth, David and Carol, it's goodbye. goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio. Thank you.